0: Pray with me, please. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. We would rejoice and be glad in it that uh, as we continue in our, our order of worship, that you would be honored, that you would be exalted. God, that our hearts would truly be inclined toward you and your truth and your grace. Thank you, God, for all you've done for us. We thank you for our our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our friend and our Lord, as we uh, proclaim Him this morning, help us, God, to focus our thoughts on Him and how we can trust Him and how we can serve Him, all for His glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's continue in our study on marriage, we are talking about communication and uh, your... Title this morning is communication rules. And of course, that is a double entendre, right? Of course, there are rules. There are precepts. There are principles for communication. And of course, we will find that in our experience in marriage and even in our wider relationships, communication does in fact rule. Communication rules the day. Communication sets the, the boundaries lays the groundwork, sets the tone for usually how that relationship will progress or fall flat on its feet. And we would hope that uh, the former would be true of us as we uh, learn about this very important thing called communication. If you were here with us last week, we were in the book of Colossians and we were talking about communication as salt, communication as always speaking with grace, and it's It's one of those strange things that typically when we talk about salty speech, it's used in the pejorative as if someone said something strong or offensive. But the Bible characterizes salty speech as something that is praiseworthy and something to be desired, something that is useful for the benefit of others, something that builds up the relationship, and so we outline that in some detail. And so I want to keep talking about this today, and you'll notice there will be a lot of overlap in these lessons when it comes to speech. And I'm really content with that because many of these things regarding how we talk to each other, because communication plays such a large uh, place in our relationships, they, they must be repeated. Repetition is the key to learning. And even in an environment like this, even the concern about saying something one or two too many times simply has to be put aside. I would rather say or repeat a principle too many times, and it and it go through. And you guys receive it, then to not repeat it enough. And so just keep that in mind. We are going to attack communication, especially communication in marriage from a variety of angles. And I trust that once we are through this most important part of marriage, that we will benefit from it richly. So uh, last time, once again, we talked about communication as grace. And one of the things we have to keep in mind is what precedes all of those things. Just kind of neglecting to speak of this last Lord's Day, it deserves to be said that the very basis of communication in a gracious way has to do with how God communicates with us. We are in, as Christians, the covenant of grace. And we have to recognize the very basis of the way we speak to each other is founded upon how God speaks to us. God speaks to us, Graciously, God speaks to us in a kind way. His word is spoken to us in such a way as to build us up, as to purify us, as to draw us not only to himself, but to draw us to one another because we share that common grace with one another. So if we are looking for a basis, if we are looking for a reason or a foundation, look no further than God himself. We keep we keep going back to that principle, right? What is the basis of doing anything that we do today especially for the benefit of one another. It is God Himself. It is His character. So lest we forget, it is because God speaks to us with gracious words. Even if those words are hard to digest sometimes, they are still gracious because they are for our benefit. And that provides the very reason that we speak graciously to one another. And so, we are going to Get into sort of another mini series, if you will, when it comes to communication. And I am very indebted to Dr. John Street for his breakdown of this text and the principles that he fleshes out. Um, so I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel here. I, I will present them in the same fashion. Of course, I'll have my own things to say, but I want to give credit to him. Credits due. I thought this was very, uh, helpful and in, in almost, almost every environment where I am able to counsel, uh, couples or even premarital counseling. I will go over this list because communication is so vital. Good, biblical, Christian communication is so vital to the health of a marriage relationship. And I think some of these principles that I'm going to lay out are going to preserve communication. They are going to grow communication. And I think what they will do importantly is these, these principles, when applied, actually will prevent a communication breakdown. That is one of the most devastating things to a marriage is when a husband and wife simply stop talking to each other because they just can't talk to one another. It's almost like they relate to one another the way Joseph's brothers did to him. They were simply unable to say a kind word to him. And I would rather present this now before you have all kinds of issues in your communication rather than join you in the thick of it, though I am willing to do so. But keep that in mind. For today. So communication rules and our text to guide our study over the next, I would say, at least three weeks comes from the book of Ephesians. So turn there with me if you're not there already. Book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians chapter four. And let's start at verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. So we will be concentrating on verse 25 and verse 25 only this morning laying aside falsehood speak truth each one of you with his neighbor for we are members of one another so this introduces the first rule of communication and it is simply this be honest be honest tell the truth in spite of how our society has progressed honesty remains one of the top uh sought out characteristics of a person when looking for a spouse is that they are honest. It's up there with good looks and how much money they make. (laughs) But honesty, honesty remains still a top priority among people in search of a life partner. Incidentally, Scripture prizes truth. Now think of it from the big picture. We just said that God speaks to us graciously, but He also speaks to us in truth. Now, think about that in the context of the Gospel of John. In the opening chapter, what does John say regarding Jesus? In the beginning was the what? The Word. In the beginning was the Word. The, the expression that Jesus is God made manifest or expressed in the flesh. If you have seen Him, you have seen the Father, but He is called the Word. That tells us that in a most profound way, in the most profound way in human history, God communicated something to man in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you go down in the text, what John says is very interesting and very profound to our study. He says, We have seen His glory the glory of the one and only as begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth work together. They are expressed in a most radiant fashion in the person and work of Jesus Christ. How does God speak to us? He speaks to us through Jesus. And what is made manifest in speaking to us through the Lord Jesus? Grace and truth. Well, we have covered grace. And now we must cover truth. And these two things play a, I I would say, just a a very necessary part in communication, in human communication. Because as we said already, we want our communication to reflect the way God communicates with us. However imperfectly we may apply it, we understand that God communicates to us grace and truth. And truth is so, so important. I mean, you can be you can tell the truth and not be very gracious. But you cannot speak grace without speaking truth. Because speaking without truth is one of the most ungracious things that you can do. Truth is the vehicle for grace. Grace is realized through the truth. So you see how that works. Without without the truth, grace cannot take hold because Truth is inherently gracious. And so we must pay attention to what the Word of God says regarding honesty. Because it's not just honesty, right? We're not just speaking merely brute facts to one another. We are speaking the truth with grace. We are speaking the truth in love. We are speaking the truth for a definitive purpose. And that is so that we are mutually, this is speaking in the context of marriage, that we are mutually edified in our own relationships, by speaking the truth to one another. That is the purpose, that we grow in Christ. And yet, the truth spoken in marriage is sometimes put on the back burner. It's not seen as a real priority. Or we tell half-truths, we tell a little bit of the information. Truth is important, but only in bite-sized pieces. I am convinced that 90%, maybe more, of the problems in marriage and even in our wider relationships could be eliminated if we just told each other the truth. And this is not telling the truth as the fool does, just so he can make his thoughts known, right? Just so he can speak his own mind, as we heard from our scripture reading from Proverbs this morning. That's not the purpose. A fool speaks only so that his opinion is known. He doesn't care about another's opinion. Truth spoken with grace has built in with it a desire for the benefit, a desire for godly and Christ-like growth on behalf of the person on the listening end. Right? We talked about communication last Lord's Day. There is a sender, there is a message, and there is a receiver. That's communication. And so we want to communicate. God's way, and we think, whoa, telling the truth, wow, if it eliminated 90% of my problems, wow, I would have a happy marriage. That sounds so easy. I'm just going to start telling the truth. And then you realize what may happen if you actually start telling the truth. That may expose you. You may hurt some feelings. You may make yourself look bad. I mean, there's lots of consequences to telling the truth, so we have to understand those consequences. Because it really does sounds easy at first why is why shouldn't telling the truth be easy it's one of those things that's very difficult telling the truth can bring shame as well it's difficult' it's, it's, it's easier much of the time to simply bottle those things up so that people don't really know what's going on inside of us right and this doesn't mean you have to go and stand on the rooftops and just blare your own business right? But however, when you are asked the que- any question, if you are to nurture your marriage and strengthen it, you must tell the truth. It is only done so through the truth. There is no grace that can come to bear if there is no truth. Telling the truth, being honest, is a way that we know the heart of God. Why is it a sin in the Ten Commandments to bear false witness against Your neighbor. Because God is a God of truth. We misrepresent God when we lie. We are in a sense saying that God does not care about reality. The reality that we exist and live in. But there it is in the top ten. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And that has all kinds of societal implications to it. And who is your first neighbor? Your spouse. Do not bear false witness against your spouse. A couple chapters later in Exodus 23, 7, the Lord says this, Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent or the righteous for I will not acquit the guilty. That's why he says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Often in those times, if you simply lied, you could take advantage of your neighbor, right? You could take his stuff. You could take his wife. You could take his property. You could take his ass. You could take his oxen. Just by lying and then taking advantage of the situation. We saw the same thing with Naboth's vineyard. False witnesses, worthless men were called up against Naboth and they accused him of a crime worthy of death. And Naboth died. He was executed. And then what happened? King Ahab went and misappropriated his vineyard, took it for himself. And so laws were put in place to protect people from being despoiled by even their neighbor. And that's why the Lord says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You wouldn't betray yourself to death, would you? No. So love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And so the accountability on this was something rather high. He said, don't, he says, keep far from a false charge. And of course, the reason is, is that false charge was used to kill the innocent or the righteous and says, I will not acquit the guilty. You will be held accountable for that. So telling the truth has always been of the utmost importance. In fact, it was a lie that was responsible for the fall of the human race. You will not surely die, yea, as God said. It was a lie. It was deceit. It was denial. By which man fell into sin and death. In Leviticus 19.11, we read this. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. This is probably who Paul is quoting from Ephesians 5.25, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Do not lie to one another. Listen to the psalmist, chapter fifteen one through 3. This gives us interesting insight as is, is to the importance, the, the gravity of the truth-teller, as opposed to the one who does not tell the truth. Oh Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? That's a question. Lord, who may... Have access to your presence. Who may come into your presence with worship and with thanksgiving? Who can have fellowship with you? That's what's that's what's on the block here. Answer, verse 2, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Verse 3, he does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor. That's the person who can have fellowship with God. The truth teller the liar can have no part with him. In fact, the condemnations for lying are very stern in both Old and New Testament. It's it's on the list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the final condemnation is on those who lie at the end of the book of Revelation. They will also be cut off. Truth tellers are a mark of God's people. Isaiah 63, starting in verse 8. For he said, Surely they are my people... Sons who will not deal falsely. What's the mark of God's people? A person who does not deal falsely. A person who has integrity. You know, keep that word in mind, integrity. It's often a, it's a word we don't hear very much, very often anymore. But that is the mark of the people of God. So listen to this. So he became their savior. In all their affliction, Isaiah says, he was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy he redeemed them and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. But, oh here we go, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. They rebelled. Let us not rebel against the Lord by dealing falsely. Here's another one from the prophets, from the prophet Zechariah chapter 8 starting at verse 14. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I purposed to do harm to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, I have not relented. So I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things which you should do. It's amazing some of us pray, Lord, what's your will for me? What would you have me do? His standard hasn't changed. So this is for us as well. He says, do not fear. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgments for peace in your gates. So you see what's going on there. Truth leads to peace. You cannot have peace when you have a bunch of liars running around. It's impossible. Also, let none of you devise evil in your heart against one another and do not love perjury. Once again, perjury, lying, bearing false witness. For all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. He says something similar in the book of Proverbs, right? These six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination of them. First one is a proud look. The second is a lying tongue. He hates a lying tongue. You go down the list, you also see a false witness who speaks lies. And then you see one who sows discord, Among the brethren. So three of the things, three out of seven of the things that the Lord hates and are an abomination to Him deal with the way we talk. Two are outright lies and one is sowing discord. You could even say one can sow discord simply using the truth for nefarious purposes. Speaking where they have no business to speak. The Lord hates this. Furthermore, there is something unusually addictive about lying. I think, I think it catches many a believer, so-called believer off guard. There's something about lying that presents initial benefits. People usually lie to evade responsibility or to benefit in some fashion where they may not have benefited. You know, we can talk about, uh, like cheating on your taxes. And we can have the whole discussion about the theft of taxation and how it's immoral and whatnot. However, if you're a tax cheat, and you get caught, you go to jail, right? You saw a potential advantage, and so you fudge the numbers, and now you're behind bars. And yet if you get away with it, oh man, you get this, you get this high. There is a high that comes from lying. You got away with it. And lying is like the heroin of sins. Heroin is usually number one on, on most lists of the most addictive illicit drug. People have such a hard time getting off of it, sometimes to the point where they actually die because the withdrawals are so severe. Lying presents a similar effect, a similar challenge. Because lying betrays someone else, but if that benefit is received, then you keep betraying other people. You keep lying and you build this false narrative, this false reality of yourself because you benefit from it. But of course, what's missing in all of this is the grim reality that you impugn the very character of God because you act like truth does not matter to Him, that truth is not a part of His character. And once you start lying, it's very hard to stop. Because typically, what happens is when you lie, you have to lie again in order to protect the previous lie. And then it just goes on and on until finally, Lord willing, it catches up with you. But the consequences are devastating. And once again, I'm not up here counseling you at all to tell the truth to one another to avoid the consequences. That's completely secondary. You tell the truth because God is a God of truth and God loves the truth. And as married couples, Christian married couples, you are called to love what God loves. And if God loves the truth, then you should too. And one of the ways we express our love for the truth is by telling the truth to one another. It expresses love for God and love for each other. And even love for the wider people of God. Love for the church. That is how important the truth is. And so, that's what Paul says to the Ephesians and says to us in this chapter. But note in verse 25 again. kind of gives us some background here. He says, therefore, laying aside falsehood. Now keep that in mind. He is giving us some very specific instruction. You know, we may see it as a step in the right direction, right? You go from just completely, a completely patholog, being a completely pathological liar to kind of splitting, you know, mixing, blending, hybriding the truth with error. And he's saying, no, 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 no. no. You are no longer pagan. You are no longer unbelieving. Lay aside falsehood. Stop lying to each other. He says as much in Colossians chapter three. Mark this one down. He expands the rationale. Colossians chapter 3 verses 9 through 10. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside that is stripped off, renounced, refused to have to do with anything with anymore. You have laid aside the old self with its practices. One of those practices is lying. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Look at that. Verse 10. Put on the new self who is being renewed to a True knowledge, not a false knowledge, not a counterfeit knowledge, not a wannabe knowledge, a true knowledge. And that, and and telling the truth lends itself to that. You realize that once you put aside the true and living God of the Bible, you have no reason to tell each other the truth. You have no basis. You might, you might want to develop trust in your marriage, but you have no ultimate reason to. You put that aside. Christians, however, have very clearly stated the ultimate reason for telling the truth. Not only because it, not only because God is a God of truth and He is our starting point, but to tell the truth is an affirmation of the fact that we have been brought to new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are a new creation. You laid aside that old self, or the old man with its evil practices. That old man is dead. That old man has been crucified. Right? What does Paul say to the Galatians? Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk with the Spirit. We crucify that which dominated who we were in Adam, who we were apart from Christ. That is the flesh. And so Paul is giving, he's delivering the same rationale here to the Ephesians. If you go a little back to verse 17, In chapter 4, he says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And then he says this, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him, and have been taught in him, just as, here's the word, truth is in Jesus, that, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, or literally the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So Paul is giving a functional instruction of what it is to be a new creation in Christ. Positionally, yes, that's the reality of our situation. We are new persons in the Lord Jesus Christ by grace through faith. But functionally, we are to daily put on that new man, as if we were putting on our daily clo- clothes. It becomes an all-pervasive lifestyle. Wherever we go, we are in Christ. Wherever we go, we walk in the Spirit. Wherever we go, we tell the truth. And yet that reality is going to be most galvanized in our marriage, in our own household. We lay aside the old man and we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says to the Romans, and make no provision for the flesh. I mean, that is a weighty statement. That is affirming the work of the Spirit. That is affirming the newness of your life in Christ. You are. That is an expression of your union with Him. That you have ceased to be the person you once were. That you cease to practice the things you want once practiced. And paramount among those things is making the truth a mere convenience. Telling the truth as long as it benefits you. Lying as long as you don't get caught. We've heard that before. Hey, it's only wrong if you don't get caught, right? It's when you actually have some accountability when there's a moral fiber to something or moral weight to it. So lay that aside, he said. These things cannot exist alongside each other. You must put away falsehood. Put away the oldness. Put away the deadness. And then he says, quoting the Old Testament, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. And I love how he just, each one of you, right? He's breaking it down. Everyone is accountable here. There's no generalizations here. Every one of you, no matter what what part you play in society, Man, woman, Jew, Greek, slave, free. Each one of you is accountable to telling the truth because you have been brought to life through the proclamation of the truth. A message full of grace and truth. Saved by a Savior who is true. For the glory of the Father who only ever speaks the truth. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Who's your neighbor? First and foremost, it's your spouse. Let let that begin in your household. And you'll find that if you develop that to your spouse, the person who knows you most intimately, you will develop a habit of speaking the truth and speaking the truth to others. But fundamentally, we must simply obey this command. That's the first thing we want to realize about what Paul is saying. This is a command. We do not speak the truth when we feel like it. We do not speak the truth when it is convenient. We speak the truth always. We speak the truth always. And you think about this too. I mean, this makes a lot of sense in marriage. And uh, I remember sitting in, uh, the pastor's home class and, uh, Dr. Street was talking about This this amazing reality that neither of us, neither man nor woman, have ESP, extrasensory perception. You know what that means. And this is going to amaze you. This is going to blow your mind. Men, you cannot read your wife's mind. I know, right? Women, your husband can't read your mind and vice versa. You can't know one another's thoughts. You may think that. But this is where communication comes in. Body language only goes so far. Grunting only goes so far. You must communicate. But you must communicate in speaking the truth. So tell the truth to one another. Only God can read your mind. We have, alas, we have limitations in this mortal body. We cannot read minds, so we must talk to one another. Be honest. Be honest. And we can say, you know, just by way of, you know, little footnote here, we can usually talk about honesty in terms of conflict resolution, but I think one of the points of being honest with one another is to avoid conflict in the first place. There's something proactive about telling the truth. So when we talk about telling the truth, you're probably asking, well, what does it mean to tell the truth? How can we understand this principle of honesty and truth-telling? Because like I said, we don't want to just sputter off, right? We don't want to say things that aren't relevant to a particular situation. We don't want to speak in such a way where we're only interested in our own thoughts and making our own thoughts known. But but basically, when it comes to honesty, one, we are we are concerned with facts, right? Truth is that which corresponds to reality. So when we use our words to describe a situation, we are describing the reality of the situation. You are simply telling the facts. You are explaining the very reality of the circumstances, right? Truth is concerned with with accuracy. Then we think about the phrase, tell the the truth, the whole truth, right? What does that mean? That means full disclosure. All the gory details if if the occasion calls for it. But full disclosure is in the interest of not hiding something. Something that is pertinent to the situation. You can plug this, this into any situation in your relationship anything you're going through but the importance of telling the whole truth cannot be underestimated even with all the details as difficult as that is often if you have you know if you have betrayed your spouse in some way you have to tell the truth and it's very hard nearly impossible to restore that relationship to reconcile with one another if there are still lies hiding out in the nosebleed section of your relationship. Tell the truth and tell the whole truth without, without holding back, as difficult as it is. That also means that you are taking responsibility. When you are telling the truth, you're taking responsibility for the things you did, the things you said, the things you thought, even the very things you intended. You're, you're, you're taking accountability for those things under the authority of God's Word. Because that's where truth goes back to. We are speaking the truth by God's authority. Note that we are called to speak the truth, but we are to do so in a particular fashion. Go back, same context, Ephesians 4, verse 15. Right? He says, but speaking the truth in love. In fact, go to 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, And carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, right? So we are, part of putting aside the old man, part of putting aside the old speech, is to repent from trickery. Repent from every wind of doctrine. Repent from the craftiness of deceitful scheming. We are not to lead astray with, by the words we say, but speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So you take that understanding into verse 25 and he says, for we are members of one another. That's what he's describing, the benefits of truth. More on that later. But the truth does not work in isolation. The truth has... The truth affects other people, just like lying affects other people, not just you. Telling the truth, having developing a culture of truth, affects the condition and the unity of the entire body of Christ. And that's the whole context of chapter 4, is unity in the Holy Spirit. And that unity is cultivated by speaking the truth in love. And I think we've talked about this before, like what does it mean to speak the truth in love? Because sometimes the truth is biting. The truth exposes. The truth is both hard to speak and the truth is hard to listen to sometimes, depending on the situation or depending on the sin. And so one of the rebukes of a person who speaks the truth and then hurts the receiver's feelings is, hey, you are supposed to speak the truth in love. And one of the things that we as a church must firmly reject with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength is making love synonymous with niceness. See my sermon on the nice guy a few months ago. Right? Love does not mean nice. Love does not always mean pleasant. Sometimes love hurts. Sometimes love is cutting. But ultimately, when applied, love brings healing. Love is concerned with the truth being made known. Love is concerned above all, for the glory of God, but it is also concerned with the good of another. Remember, love is committed to the highest good of another. Love is committed to the development of Christ's likeness within your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love is committed to the unbeliever in such a way that it is determined to make them know the power of the gospel. Right? So when we speak the truth in love, that is the purpose that is in mind, to cultivate Christ's likeness within that person. It's not always about being nice. In fact, it rarely is about being nice. So when you speak the truth in love, you are directing that person to a greater commitment and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, a byproduct of that is unity in the Spirit. A growth of strength and unity in the members of the body of Christ. So that's just a very, I think, helpful application. Is that when someone has to tell you a hard truth, This goes back to what we talked about last Lord's Day, right? The substance, the style, and the spirit. So when someone tells you a hard truth, ask yourself, not how how does this make me feel, but ask yourself, is what the person is saying about me true or not? And then I would say, as a believer, assume the best of intentions. But they told you what they told you in love. That is the best intention is that what they said is said in love, not to shame you, not to wound you for their own perverse glee, but knowing that the truth would hurt to guide you back to walking in step with the Spirit. That is the importance of speaking the truth in love. Hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. But speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth with regards as to how it benefits the other person, with regards as to how it brings glory to God. Now, to move on, to shift gears a little bit, we and we've said this already, sometimes speaking the truth can be difficult. Right? Some of you have put yourself, your own relationship, in a situation where neither party can say anything. You've kind of shut them down, and which is very dangerous to a marriage because You should be talking to one another more than any other human being involved in their life. Lines of communication must be open. So here's some things. I want you to mark these down. I want you to ask yourself if they are true of you. Why is it so difficult to speak the truth? Now, there are going to be complications on both ends. Some things are complicated by the person who is speaking the truth. I would say many things, maybe most things, are complicated by the one who is on the receiving end. Right? We've all Sometimes we just don't say anything because we are afraid of how it is going to be received. And that is really the first one I want to talk about. Is The first reason we don't speak the truth in love is simply fear of man. And there's a variety of ways that the fear of man rears its ugly head. But we are called not to fear man. We are called to only fear God. I mean think about it for a second this is in the context of marriage are you really afraid of your spouse guys are you really afraid of your wives wives are you really afraid of your husband i mean what's honestly is there really a basis for fear in your relationship you both love the lord and trust in him i would say on on the whole no there is not special circumstances aside but fear of man Fear of man, you don't speak the truth because of the resistance of people on the receiving end. The resistance that you are afraid of receiving, and really that fear of man comes from pride. It really does. Pride expressed in that you do not trust God for the means and the end of the results of speaking the truth. You fear man because of the potential consequences, right? Sometimes, what, why, don't we, why don't we preach the gospel, right? Because we are afraid. We are afraid of what people are going to think. We are, we are afraid of the petty opinions of mere mortals. We're afraid they're going to say something mean to us. You know, and occasionally maybe throw something at us. You know, ma- many of you who have, have uh, taken a trip out to Planned Parenthood off Centennial have felt that before. You felt those initial jitters. What are people going to say to me? If you don't know, go there and join us on Saturday and you'll find out. Stand with Jeremy and you'll find out what people have to say. Honestly, in the final analysis, words. Words by poor fools who do not know the truth. You have nothing to fear from them. And if you have nothing to fear from them, how much less do you have to fear from that person with whom you are one flesh? Do not fear the consequences, even if Your spouse doesn't want to hear it. Even if your spouse gives you the silent treatment, even if they get angry for a time, even if they deflect and give you a string of whataboutisms, the truth must be spoken in your marriage and the truth must prevail. And as I usually bring up men, this is especially relevant for you because you are to lead your wife and your children and the only way to lead is by the truth. You must tell the truth even though the truth may hurt. And I realize, yes, you don't want to hurt your spouse's feelings. You don't want to make your children think that you do not love them. But I would say, be a man and speak the truth. Remember the the result of truth. Remember the result of discipline. It hurts for a while. It's unpleasant. But what does it do? It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. If there is no truth, there is no peaceful fruit of righteousness. And don't rip off your family because you were too much of a coward to speak the truth. Because you were hemming and hawing about what the backlash would be. You're accountable to God. So first and foremost, ask, what does God say I ought to do in this situation? And it's very clear from Scripture. You are to speak the truth. So don't let hurt feelings or the potential for hurt feelings stifle your authority in the household and stifle your prerogative to speak the truth and to lead your family ultimately you answer to god not those precious little children or that pretty young thing that you're married to we know that the truth can be painful i mean the truth comes from the word of god does it not and hebrews 4 hebrews 4:12 4, describes the word of god as sharper than a two any two-edged sword that's that means it cuts And that means it's going to hurt every once in a while. It's going to be unpleasant. But as men, don't cheat your family because you were too cowardly to wield the sword of the Spirit. Tell the truth and tell the whole truth. Here's some more points of application when it comes to being honest and as opposed to not being dishonest, not lying. We say tell the whole truth. We mean avoid these things, right? One is outright deceit or denial. That's, that's usually the first way that lying presents itself. We tell the truth as opposed to denying it, where we use deceit or distortion or to somehow outright say, no, I did not do this. What is it? The adulteress licks her lips and says, I've done nothing, right? In a, in a proud, self-righteous kind of way, where it's very deliberate and we may even make the excuse i lied because i didn't want to hurt you tell the truth here's another way here's here's something that i think is one of the most applicable points you can just you can just take this and run with it maybe if you get one thing from my sermon today let it be this avoid lying via not only denial and deceit but avoid lying via exaggeration if you've spent any time in marital counseling With me, I will, I will tell you this. Avoid 100% language. Avoid accusing your spouse of, you always do this, or you never do this. Tell the truth. Every time this happens, you fill in the blank. You can never do anything right. When I, when I mess up, why do you always react this way? Is it really true? Ask yourself that. Is what you're saying, is your analysis of the situation, really true. Don't exaggerate and don't embellish. Tell the truth as it happened. And I would say this, avoid exaggeration by telling the truth based only on what you're certain about. You would be amazed at how often you come together to discuss something and you remember the situation in a completely different way. So focus on what you are certain that happened and then with the Word of God as your authority, work through the situation from there. Again, assuming the best about one another, speaking the truth in love, pursuing the highest good for one another. Here's another one. The conflict between body language or tone of voice and the content of what we say. Meaning, the question is asked, Hey, sweetheart, is something wrong? And may it respond with, Nothing! Nothing's wrong! <laughs> Difference between... The answer itself, right, the substance and the style pretty much says that something is very wrong. Sometimes that takes a passive-aggressive tone. Oh, nothing, everything's fine. Everything's fine, my day is great. Stop it and tell the truth. Discuss these things. And don't treat the person like they are a lost cause. But that's a couple of the, the examples of... Fear of men. Most of it, most of this goes back to a fear of men. That's why we act that way toward one another. We are simply cowards. And I think attached to this is also one of the reasons we don't tell the truth is simply unbelief. And this is the most tragic one because what I mean by unbelief is that you are treating your spouse by not telling the truth as if they are out of the reach of grace. I think we highlighted this last Lord's Day. When you are treating them as if they are simply a lost cause. They've done something wrong one too many times and you've simply given up. You've simply stopped trying. You've stopped saying anything because you are treating them like a hopeless case. And let me say this very clearly. That is a wicked way to treat your spouse. If your spouse is in Christ, you have to regard them through the lens of grace, of God's continuing, redemptive, and sanctifying work in their heart. They are not a a lost cause. Reason this way. God saved me. He, sa- he saved me, didn't he? Surely he can do a sanctifying work in my spouse. They are not a lost cause. They are not out of the reach of grace. So don't be the unbelieving man who is, thirdly, also proud. Who's too, the person who believes that their spouse is out of, is out of the reach of God's grace is also the, the spouse who is proud. It's like you're just too good for them. You're too good this, to speak the truth in love. You are too good for them to use gracious words. Don't be so proud that your heart is hardened against your spouse. So those are three primary ways. And of course, there are other reasons that we fudge the truth. There, there are other ways that we don't speak the truth. Speaking the truth is difficult. But don't let its difficulty excuse you from actually doing it. Without truth, the relationship dies. Think about how important the truth is. It always points you back to the standard. And that standard is a loving and gracious standard. That standard wants what is best for the two of you. So don't give up on one another by refusing to tell the truth. And of course, we come to the reasoning. The reasoning here in verse 25, coming back to it, that we speak the truth, we lay aside aside falsehood, right? We're affirming the newness, right? The truth of the new creation. And then we speak the truth to one another, right? Rather than betraying them or taking advantage of them through lies. And then it says this, for we are members of one another. For we are members of one another. Lying doesn't stay contained, right? I have a real-time illustration for you. About how lying affects everything. Lying affects the other members. Yesterday, I went to the slash pit in Black Forest with my wife because we had a whole trailer full of pine needles to unload. And so we get our, we have our pitchforks and we're unloading it and I moved my back a wrong way and I threw out my back. Hurts like the Dickens this morning. But it affects everything. One measly little muscle in my lower back And I can barely move without being in excruciating pain. If I turn the wrong way, if I sit down the wrong way, if I get up the wrong way, it just hurts. That's, that's how lying, that's how lying impacts the rest of the body. Lying doesn't stay contained. It's not an, it's not an isolated sin. It affects the whole body negatively. So we would, then, then, but then we reason, conversely, how does the truth How does speaking the truth in love for the benefit of one another impact the rest of the body? Strengthen and grow the rest of the body for the advancement of God's kingdom. When we lie, we say, I have no need of you except to use you for my personal benefit. When we tell the truth, we say, I do have need of you. We mutually benefit one another. We do not walk the road of godliness alone. We need one another as the body of Christ that we speak truth to one another but also we speak the truth concerning who God is. And we bring Him glory for doing so. Think about it. The gospel of the kingdom is a message of inherent truth, of life-changing truth. And if we can't speak the truth to one another as married couples, how are we going to speak the truth outside of that relationship? So just to say here, Keep this in the, in mind for the context of your own marriages and, and then we'll close. But the benefits of telling the truth. I want you to think about this as you're, you know, just dealing with the issues of life with your spouse. Here's the first one. And I'll go through these quickly. Benefits of telling the truth. One, it stops sin. You notice that you'll keep sinning until the truth is known in many different ways. Sometimes, You will will have humility and say, okay, I've sinned, I haven't been caught, but I'm going to go and I'm going to confess this. Because it's the right thing to do. But in either situation, telling the truth has a way of killing sin. Truth loves righteousness. And you can't pursue righteousness without the truth. So first of all, it stops sin. It kills sin. And you want to kill sin in your marriage. You don't want to give the devil or sin a foothold. Truth stops sin. What else does truth do? And a lot of times this comes after the sin. But truth builds trust and rapport with one another. Build a culture of truth in your own household. Make it a habit of speaking the truth with one another in love. That nothing builds trust like truth. And you'd be amazed at how harmonious your marriage is and joyful your marriage is because you trust one another. Here's what else truth does. It sanctifies. Purifies you. We learn that in Ephesians as well. We learn that in a variety of marriage passages. That is how the husband is to lead his wife. To be a sanctifying force in the marriage. To wash her with the word. That she may be cleansed and radiant. The truth sanctifies. Jesus said, that, said as much in John 17. Sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. That's how we are made like Christ is through the Word of God, through the truth of God. Here's another thing the truth does, is it clarifies and points us back to the standard. When we tell the truth, we are reminded of why, right? We have a standard by which we abide. Truth is not just out there in some kind of nebulous, unclear fashion. Truth is found in God. Truth is found in His Word. Truth is our very standard. And when we tell the truth to one another, we are reminded of that abiding eternal standard of the Word of God. And finally, we tell the truth because, we've been saying this throughout this message, we tell the truth because we want to faithfully represent God. We are saying that God is a God of truth, truth matters, and that God always tells the truth. And if God tells the truth, then so will I, because I want to be a godly person. I want to be a Christ-like person and i want to represent god well i want to walk with god and and walking with god is synonymous with walking in the truth and there's so much there's so much we can say about this but fundamentally when it comes to communication gracious communication is honest communication so no matter where you are in your marriage right now make it a point to tell each other the truth because the the benefits the blessings Of doing so. Will far outweigh the impact and consequences. Of not doing so. So Telling the truth ultimately trusts God. It trusts God for the results. It trusts God for the growth. It trusts God for the impact. Not telling the truth is only to trust self. And so by being honest. By telling the truth. We are able to recommit not only our own ourselves. But our marriages to the care of God. Because he. He cares for us through the truth spoken in love and revealing His grace. So we'll continue on number two and three uh, next Lord's Day. But for one, communication rules. Be honest. Let's pray. Well, oh, Father, thank you for Your Word. Thank you that we can be reminded of the command to to tell the truth to one another. That as new persons in Christ, it is thoroughly unchristian. It is contrary to the gospel to go on in an old manner of life which sees lying as acceptable. Lord, we are called to the truth. We are called by the truth, in the truth, for the truth. And so what place does lying have in our midst? Help us, God, to have the humility to have teachable hearts, to not only tell the truth, but to listen to the truth, to dwell on it, and to eagerly anticipate the power of it, that it will sanctify us, that it will reveal your character, Lord, that it will guard us from error and lies of the enemy. Help us to see it as precious God, an abiding standard that we are to, to live under, an abiding standard that we can always trust, because that standard is Christ Himself, truth in the flesh, who reveals perfectly Your Word to us. God, I pray that if any out there, especially husbands and wives, that lying has compromised the integrity of the relationship, that is, that lying has been used to betray the other, Lord, that You would bring swift repentance and a commitment to telling the truth and to being honest and open about what's going on in the marriage. That you can strengthen it, Lord. Strengthen it and sanctify it with your truth. So help us, Lord, to receive the word that has been preached today. For the benefit of your people. and For the glory of your kingdom. For the honor of your Son. It's his name we pray. Amen.